can I use the Coptic reader? Let's put the Bible on, on certain... In name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Um, today's topic, by God's grace, uh, Buna prepared a very nice uh, kind of like theme for you for this week. So I'm very, uh, I'm very happy to get this part of the, uh, the theme tonight, which is the issue of uh, temptation and sin. And what sin has done to us, what sin has done to the world. Um, if you go all the way to the beginning of Genesis and the beginning of the fall of Adam and Eve, do you remember what happened? More or less? Anybody? Maybe just looking through these verses, you might remember. Nothing? Nothing yet? Maybe this chapter? Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So, what happened to Eve here? What led Eve to eat of this fruit? What comes to your mind? Feel free to just say something. The tree was good. What else? Pleasant to the eye. What else? Desirable. Desirable to make one wise. Did the tree include, like from this list, as you can see from verse 6, is God anywhere here? Nowhere is He mentioned in this, right? Isn't this the problem? Like Sin entered into the world through the envy of the devil. We know that we pray that in the liturgy. Um, but the biggest problem here is that the devil attempted to do what? To Eve. I mean, yes? Almost like God's word is not enough. God's word is not enough. The promise is not enough. That the promise of God is not enough. Absolutely. Like that's what he led her to believe. Mm -hmm. What else? He made her make her own judgment. He made her make her own judgment. Yes. What else? He, made, he wanted to make her wise to be wise as God. Did you notice something in the Vespers Gospel we prayed tonight? The Gospel of Mary and Martha? Was anything wrong with Martha? Not at all. But there's a word that was used by St. Luke that describes the problem. What was the word? Distracted. Distracted. 
That was the problem. And that's the devil's biggest weapon with us. He distracts us. Right? He's the devil and he distracts. He, he loves to distract us off course. It doesn't have to be a huge distraction. For him, it's enough to be something very small to lead us even a couple of degrees off course. And if we're off course, then we're off track from God. So, we see here that she was completely distracted from God because it all became something about this tree, an obsession about the tree. And the obsession was no longer about God. The love for God. It wasn't about God anymore. This is the, the first part we notice here. Um, St. James says something about that. He says uh, something about temptation. He says, God does not tempt, but a person is tempted how? When he's led away and enticed. What does it mean to be enticed? When someone is enticed, what's the definition? You can use your phones and Google it. Google the definition from the English dictionary, the word enticed. Tell me what you find. Say it again. Attract or tempt by offering pleasure or advantage. Attract or tempt by offering pleasure or advantage. So again, as you can see, that is a distraction. The question is, how can I not get distracted, of course, from God? Jesus taught us what to do. He gave us, the, where did He give us the way to overcome temptation? Where in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ? Which event? When he was uh, fasting 40 days and 40 nights at the temple. On the Mount of? Temptation, right? So, exactly. So, the Lord allowed that to happen to remind us of how to, or teach us the simple elements of the escape. What, what was the recipe that the Lord used? The devil used the same thing. Try to distract. Jesus was there fasting 40 days and 40 nights. For a purpose. Now the devil likes to come and spoil the purpose. So why don't you look at those stones and turn them into bread. Why don't you jump off of here and see what happens. Why don't you do this and see what I'll give you. All these are distractions off Jesus. Off God. What did the Lord respond with? Written. Pardon? Written. Sorry? It's written. It's written. Exactly. He responded with other verses. Like when the devil says, it says this, the Lord said, it also says this. Because the devil, when he told Eve here, you shall not eat, uh, no, sorry. He said what? You shall not surely die. You will not surely die. So he took a part out of context because the plan was not for Adam and Eve to die. Right? That's why when you notice the only two trees mentioned in Genesis in all the garden, the only two trees mentioned by name are the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So the intention, the goal, the plan is that we eat of the tree of life and live forever. Some people question that. Maybe we'll take a, a minute to get off track for this point because it's important. Some people say, well, why would God... Okay, the, the sin happened. Why doesn't He just 
Instead of telling, saying, you know, let's block off the way to the tree of life, kick them out, let them, lest they have of it. Why didn't God want them to have of it anymore? Because having of the tree of life at that point, while having fallen in sin, would mean living forever in sin. And that's exactly what Jesus doesn't want for us. So, um, the recipe is to remind ourselves, God help me remember that you are my goal. That let me be always attracted by you. If you recall St. Augustine's words about this, he said, something, you know, he said something about our hearts. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord. You have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And this, the, the world, when we say the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, why does the whole world lie under the sway of the wicked one? What is the sway? Distraction. Like a leaf tossed by the wind. Wherever the wind can carry me, or would carry me, let me go with it. But that's not the intention of God's love for us. That's not the purpose that we were created for. So, I want to take you to another example in the Old Testament that is as relevant today as it was at that time. Um, I think everyone is familiar with the story of Samson and Delilah. Everybody familiar with Samson's story? Now, it says... Let me actually take you to it really quick, just so that we can look at some pieces of it. So what does it say about Samson's birth? And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink, and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no, no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. What does it mean that he'll be a Nazarite from the womb? Dedicated, exactly. Dedicated for God. Consecrated. Set apart. This happened to each and every one of us through baptism and chrismation. When the day we were baptized and we were chrismated, we were set apart for the Lord. Every part of us was consecrated. We became dedicated for God. Then the devil, knowing that, will do everything he can to get us off course. So if you look at the first point, actually, I'm not going to read that whole part. But when did Samson lose his eyesight? Let me just fast forward to that. How did Samson lose his eyesight? You remember that story? He gets his haircut. But yeah, you're right. And the, the, the secret was his hair, but what was, this, what was within the whole issue of his hair? What was the point of his hair? It's symbol of his what? Of his, his consecration. So what did he tell Delilah over and over again about his consecration? Like when she asked him, what's the secret of your strength? What did he say? He, did he talk about his, uh, his hair being the secret right away? Do you remember what he said more or less? Should we read it? Is it in chapter 15? 16 is it? Let's see. Okay, so 
Samson said in verse 7, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings not yet dried, then I shall become weak and become like any other man. What is that? What was that situation? Like, What does this represent? What did Samson do with, by saying this? Did he talk about his hair being the secret of sin? No. So what did he say? What does this represent? We know what happens after this, right? So they bind him, right? Now they were lying in wait. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Next time. Please tell me what you may be bound with. So he said to her, If they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Do you see a pattern here? Do you see something happening? So far, does he know what Delilah tried to do so far? Didn't she tell him, the Philistines are upon you? And then what happened? Nothing happened, right? Because it wasn't the secret. So again, she asks him, what does he say? Well, try this, right? What happens? Broke them off his arms like a thread. Until now you've mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom. Now, now we're getting closer to his secret, aren't we? Now it's the hair. So she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he woke from his sleep and pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. What's happening in this story? I want you to realize this story represents us. Every single one of us. Should we keep going? Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. What did he finally do? That he told her all his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and become and be like any other man. So before we move on, what happened? The first time Delilah spoke to Samson, what was his response? Did he, tell, he didn't tell her about the hair. So what was the point of this whole story? What did Samson gain by, gain by doing this? No guesses? I feel slipping gradually. Gradually slipping. You're right. What else? He avoided God in any of it. Pardon? He avoided God in any of He avoided God in any of it? Absolutely. Kind of like when Eve was distracted with the apple. What else? I heard something over there. Mm-hmm. You're right. So he felt self-confident. True. That's right. And that's why Solomon says, all who were slain by her were strong men. When I, when I think I'm strong, I'm actually most in danger. That's why St. Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. That's why I'd rather boast in my infirmities. I'd rather come on my knees before Jesus and saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, than to say, I'm fine. And that's why the tax collector and the publican, when they stood, sorry, the tax collector and the Pharisee, when they stood before God, one was praising himself. It says, he says, he, he talked to himself, basically. He was praying, talking to himself. 
about how good he was, while the tax collector would even look up and beat his chest and said, God forgive me, a sinner. That one left justified. That's all these are true. What else happened here though? With Samson. He's so pressured by her. He was very pressured. True. So, what would have been the best thing for Samson to do from the beginning? When she asked him, pardon? No, I have a question. Why is he doing that? Like, yes, I, you know, like, that's my question. Yeah, like, like, Your question is my question. I'm asking you the same question. Why did he do that? Because he's enticed by her. Enticed by her, that's one. Distracted. He, did he remember his, his vow to God? When Delilah, speaking to Delilah, he didn't. What else? We're getting warmer. The answer is coming soon. It's almost as if he, didn't, he couldn't learn from his mistakes. It's almost like he couldn't learn from his mistakes. Yeah? So my question now, before we answer that question, why didn't he... What would have been the best, the safest thing to do from the beginning? Pardon? Stay away. What else? To not tell anything. Basically, what do people call this in the world today? What was he doing? First, oh, try tying me with these bowstrings, then try this rope, and then try this and try that. What is that known as? Thank you. Exactly. He was flirting with temptation. Com com combining all the good reasons you all answered, he flirted around with the possibility of well try this well it's okay just yeah well give this a chance and try this and try that and as he was saying like you said before he was slipping because the, the sin the slope of sin is extremely slippery there's no such thing as like me let me just hmm and I'll stop it doesn't work like that the, like Abu Narsenius God rest his soul once said he says the, the best way to avoid sin is to run away from sin. It's not to toy around with it or flirt with it. Because the more you flirt with it, the more it distracts you. Because it's very deceptive. The enticing term that was mentioned by St. James, that's what it is. It's a slow, slow, very slow distraction. And many people will think, oh, that's not going to happen to me. And it's usually those who say that that are most in danger. Those are the ones that are most in danger. Because what did St. Anthony say when he was walking by and he saw the vision of all the snares and traps set by the devil? What did he say to God? St. Anthony panicked. And he said, how will I escape all this? And he heard a voice telling him what? By humility. By humility. Humility means what? Humility is realizing my poverty without Jesus. Kind of like what the Lord said in Revelation chapter 3 to the Laodiceans. What did He say to them? You know, you need to realize that you're wretched and poor and blind and naked. Come to me, I'll give you eye salve that you may see. I won't let you get blinded the way Samson got blinded. Because that's exactly what happened to Samson. He was blinded. Samson didn't lose his eyesight only when they put his eyes out. That was his physical eyesight. He had lost his vision much earlier than that. And that's what we need to watch out for. This is what we need 
There's no such thing as toying or flirting with sin. Because it's extremely deceptive, extremely distracting, and extremely enticing. So the devil will make it look sweet. Change this change the stone to bread, Jesus, it's no big deal. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Why? Why, Lord? You are the creator. You created the stone. You are fully entitled to change it to bread if you so wish. Why didn't he? Why didn't the Lord do it? And this is the key that you and I need to follow. Why didn't he change it? Why? Why? Pardon? Mm -hmm. Why give it the satisfaction? Why give to what satisfaction? Why give the devil the satisfaction? Absolutely. When, the, 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 when Jesus uh, healed Simon's mother and then he was casting out demons and healing, the demons said, you are the Christ, the Son of God. What did he tell them to do? He told them, be quiet. But they weren't lying. It was the truth. He is the Christ, the Son of God. He is. But he told them, be quiet. I don't want to hear anything from you. Why? Like you said, do, there's no such thing as interacting with this being. There's no such thing as having some diplomatic relations with evil. You cannot. Therefore, you just shut the door, period. That's exactly it. And that's why he would not let them speak, even though he was saying, or the Christ. That's why though he, it, it might, had it been someone else telling Jesus, could you change the stone to bread? He would have done it maybe. But because it was the devil suggesting it, no. That's one of the key elements we need to work on. When, when we get a suggestion of any sort to do something wrong, to fall into sin, we should immediately say, where is this coming from? Anything related in any way, shape or form to the devil, I'm staying away from it. But how is this related to the devil? I'm not sure, but I'm not going to take a chance. Period. There's no such thing as dialoguing with him. So back to St. Anthony, what was the humility told him to have to escape the snares what was the humility what is what does humility really mean what does it mean humility is not just walking around saying i'm a sinner because i think it was it c.s lewis who said uh, humility is not to think less of yourself but it is to think of yourself less it's not about me. It's about the Lord Jesus. It's about my Christ, my Redeemer, my Savior. And every time I say that, I become less and less distracted. See, St. Paul was an expert at that. That's why he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I don't live anymore. It's not me. You want to talk to something? You want to talk to someone? Talk to Jesus. It's not about me. So, the devil will try to sweeten the sin and sugar and candy coat it in any way, shape, or form to almost make it look harmless to the point that you can become vexed to death. You see that verse 16? She pestered him daily. The devil is pestering you daily too. He's pestering us daily with all kinds of anythings. Pressing. It's okay. It's okay. Nobody's going to know. You can go sit down with Abuna after and confess it. It's really not a problem. You know the mercy of God is, is bountiful. You know God will forgive you. Just do it. Go. 
It's no big deal. He used, he used peer pressure in school. And he uses different forms of pressure out of school. So that his soul is vexed to death. There are some people, you hear them, they get to a point where they are, they, they, don't, they can't stand it anymore. And you see them in confession struggling. And they say, Abuna, I don't know what to do anymore with this. I look at them with a smile of joy. Why? Because I tell them, God bless you. Blessed are you because you are still struggling. You haven't given in and you haven't given up. Even though you're vexed to death. Even though he's pestering you and pressing you daily. You haven't given in. Yes, but I'm miserable. I feel like I'm a sinner. I'm the worst on earth. I'm, 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 I'm. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're hidden with Christ in God. So, vexed to death, he told her everything. He gave in, basically. And as soon as he did, and yet, he knew that she got the Philistines three times prior to this. And she told him, they're upon you, Samson. So he saw the whole, it's like, he saw it was a rehearsal for the final act. He saw it three times, live. Because sin blinds us to the truth. And that's exactly what the devil did to Eve at the beginning. You won't die. Look at this. It's a piece of fruit. Look at it. You're going to know things. It's, it's good for you. Everybody knows this stuff. You need to know this. You need to experience it yourself. You have to try. So she looked at all of a sudden, like, we, like you all mentioned at the beginning, she became distracted and rather looking at, wait a minute, God, didn't you tell me I shouldn't have this tree? She put him on the side and said, she looked at the tree and said, it looks good, it can make me wise, it'll do this. God was here, the tree was here, and her eyes were here. This is what we're trying to avoid as Christians, as cross-bearers. Didn't Jesus ask us to bear our cross daily? That's part of it. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees. Exactly what the devil does. He makes us fall asleep, fall asleep in sin. The process of sin leading from giving birth to sin, leading to death. And called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to torment him. And his strength left him. She began to torment him. That's the next thing the devil will do. He'll pester you and vex you to death. And make it seem like it's no big deal at the same time. It's okay. It's okay. Don't worry about it. And he'll give you a thousand and one reasons why you could justify yourself for not doing this. And after he has done that, he will torment you. And after he said, it's okay, you can go to, go to Abuna later and confess it. It's okay. God will forgive you. Then he torments him. Oh, no, no, you can't say this one to Abuna. Can you imagine what Abuna is? He might drop dead if he hears this sin. Abuna, can't, his heart is weak, you know, he, he can't take it. No, 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 no. You really love him? Don't tell him this one. You can't. Or he'll say, but your honor. Abuna is going to never look at you the same ever again. You will never be looked at the same again. And what if somebody's hearing you confessing this? What will happen then? What if Abuna posts it on some social media site? What if, what if, what if? And he'll torment you, torment you, torment you to the point that no repentance, 
No confession. And yet the fathers say what? There is no sin without forgiveness except for the sin that is without repentance. The devil will torment you to the point that he won't even allow you to repent, let alone confess. That's exactly what happened here. Courtesy of the devil. So she began to torment him. So uh, Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 27, a beautiful verse that I want you to memorize, if possible. Proverbs 27 verse 7. It's beautiful. It says, A satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb, but to a hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. What does that mean? What is the satisfied soul? Hmm? Content with God. Filled with God. Satisfied with God. Mary chose the good part that would not be taken away from her. Maratha was distracted. Satisfied. I'm content. I'm content with what I have. I don't need anything else. I have Jesus. What else do I need? This is the ultimate goal. He said, well, I'm not sure I can ever say those words. Yes, you can. Yes, you will. Because it's a journey. This is not an overnight change. It's a journey with Christ. To grow into that kind of love comes with time. You know, like after school when you were a kid and you and your friends went heading home after school. In Quebec we call them dépanneurs. What do you call them here? Convenience stores? Convenience stores. You pass by the convenience store because everybody has some change in their pockets and they want to buy candy, chips. Or they pass by McDonald's, get a fry, maybe a cheeseburger. You know, the, you know, the junk, vitamin J, just junk, you know? So they, they stock up on all the junk, and they're having a great time getting back on the bus, eating their jujubes and their cheeseburgers, and sometimes putting some jujubes in the cheeseburgers, and their fries, and their drink, and their milkshake, or their Coke, whatever. And it was a great time, right? It was a great ride while it lasted. And they finally get off and go home. Now they enter the house, they open the door, the beautiful aroma of mom's cooking. And out of all the days of the week, mom decided to cook my favorite meal today. And it smells amazing. Like, I love this meal she does. And Habibi, Habibti, come, the food's ready. Are you able to eat? You're not. And yet, it's your favorite meal on earth from all of mom's cooking, from all the menus she does. But because you filled up so much on the junk, you can't even eat that. And that's what the devil likes to do. He wants to, quote-unquote, satisfy us, but with emptiness. So when we come to the true sweetness of the love of the Lord, but I'm, I'm, I'm okay, I'm content. When it should be the other way around, I should be filling up on Jesus constantly, the real vitamin J, constantly filling up on Him, so that when it's time to be enticed by emptiness, and distractions, and all kinds of sin, I wouldn't even bother looking at it, because I'm full. This is what we want to reach. You remember the scene where Jesus says, you know, after casting out a demon, the place is left, left empty, swept, and in order. Empty. What does the devil do then? He comes back again, basically at an opportune time, looking for the right moment. And what does he do then? He brings seven more spirits, more wicked than himself. And the state of that man now is worse than at the first. 
But the key problem was it was empty. The room was empty. The heart was empty. That's why when the church tells us to pray regularly, we have the Psalms, we have the Jesus prayer to carry with us everywhere we go. We have the Word of God to pray and read regularly. We have the Eucharist, the mystery given to us for salvation, remission of sins and eternal life regularly. It's to keep us filled up so that when the devil comes with his distractions, we're able, like St. Paul says, to having done all to stand. Because that's what Jesus wants for us at the end. To stand. Didn't he say that when you read Luke 21 before uh, Holy Week? During Holy Week we read this passage. The, before the end of time the Lord said, Pray that you may be able to stand on that day. May be worthy to stand on that day before the Son of Man. But that's what he wants. That's what he wants for us. To be able to stand on that day. You know how uh, sometimes you're... Abuna, how much time left? It's almost uh, nine. Five minutes or so? Three minutes? So, you know when you're driving your car and sometimes the sun is in your eyes? What happens to you after that? What do you, what do you notice? For a few more minutes after that, when you look everywhere, what, what do you see? You're like blinded. There's a glare. You see spots of the sun everywhere you look. Right? You're like dazzled. You can't notice, you can't even see other things and you, want, you actually want to slow down maybe and park the car because you're not sure if you're, you're about to hit something or something. What do you do? You're dazzled. You stop. We want to pray for that kind of dazzling feeling to happen with Jesus. That we may be dazzled by Him. That everywhere we look, I just see Jesus. Like I look, I see Jesus, I see Jesus, 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 Jesus. That's what I want. You know, there's a beautiful story of uh, Father Lev Gillet. You may have heard of him. He was a French Orthodox monk. You know, he was one of some of his famous, most of a lot of his famous writings are writ signed a monk of the Eastern Church. But some of them have Lev Gillet. Anyway, there's a true story. This happened when he was visiting Egypt one time. He was really, really good friends with Bishop Musa, the bishop of the youth, the youth bishopric. So they were going to, I think, I'm not sure which city they were visiting another town. So they got to their service, did what they had to do, and then they were heading back to Cairo. So their, uh, Bishop Musa was about to call up the private car to drive them back to Cairo. So Father Lev insisted, no, your grace, please. This is what? He goes, I want to take the public transit back to Cairo. So he said to him, why? He goes, because I really want this. He said, it's going to be crammed and hot and it won't smell too good. And we're going to get weird looks and all kinds of stuff. He goes, no, 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 I want this. Okay, so can you imagine Bishop Musa and Father Lev heading back to Cairo in public transit? They finally got back to Cairo in one piece. And Bishop Musa told them, Father, why? Why did you insist? He told them, I wanted to enjoy seeing Jesus in every face during the ride back home. Wow, that's, that's, that. This, is, this comes by exercise, like training myself for that. Looking for Jesus in the most unobvious faces. Think, oh, for sure, if you look at St. John the Baptist, I can see Jesus there. Yeah, but what if it's not an icon of Christ like that? What if it's not? What if it's somebody on the street? Didn't St. John Chrysostom say that? If you don't recognize Jesus... And the beggar on the street, at the door, you won't recognize him in the chalice. Right? So the goal is for us to see, be dazzled 
by Christ this way. Lord, grant me to be dazzled by you. Give it to me. He'll give it to you, I promise you. Maybe not like that. Or he might, it's up to his infinite wisdom for your salvation. But he'll give it to you. There are certain prayers you request in life, and they're granted to you gradually over time. That's one of them. So, don't be discouraged. And yes, that was the end of Samson's story there, but that's not our end. By the grace of God, it's not our end. We, just ha- we, we have these people in history, in the history of our salvation, to remind us how to beware of the devil's deceptiveness and distractions. A um, couple of last things I promise. Uh, in Psalms 73, this is also a very, very beautiful psalm. It kind of has to do with what we were talking about now, this dazzling feeling. It says, verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. You know, pray this daily. Say, Lord, grant me to save these from my heart. Even if you have to fake it till you make it, it's okay. Say it for now until you make it. Ask God, Lord, may these words come out not just from my mind or my mouth, but from my heart. Give it to me, Lord. Give it to me. I want this. Because this is true satisfaction. This is being a satisfied soul that will loathe any distracting honeycomb. This is what it's all about. So, I'll leave you with a couple of things. (laughs) I say a couple of things, but I remember something else. When did St. Peter start to drown in the water when he started walking? When he took his eyes off of Jesus, right? There's your distraction. But Jesus pulled him up. And he's doing that with us daily, regularly. So, take advantage of that love in a good way. Honor it by your struggle. If you go down, don't go down without a fight. Don't wait till the next time I see Abuna. If you have to call him up and say, Abuna, I need to sit down with you. Tonight, before you leave, if you feel something has been heavy on your heart, ask Abuna, Abuna, can I sit down for two minutes? Take your two minutes, confess it. Get it off your chest and move on. Go home lighter than when you came in. Very quick like that. Because his hand is always extended to you like that. You know, it says in, what passage was it? His hand is stretched out still. His hand is stretched out still. Stretched out still on the cross in that, that, mind, in that image, that his arms are still open. When Mary of Egypt thought that God will never forgive her, what did the bishop tell her? Do you see Jesus on the cross? She said, yes, I see him. He said, is he like this? She said, no. How is he? Like this. Will he ever remove his arms like that? The nailing of Jesus' hands on the cross was to remind us that he has of his own will nailed his hands to the cross to keep his arms open to us always, regularly. Come, he says, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. And gradually by the grace and mercy of God, we'll learn to put away the childish things that the devil tries to put in our way. You know how it says in 1 Corinthians, the chapter about love. It says, when I was a child, what does it say? I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. It's time to prove ourselves a man, quote-unquote, spiritually mature. Just like when David told Solomon, David, Solomon, 
prove yourself a man. Stand up now. Don't be a babe in Christ anymore. Stand in Christ. Grow, mature in Christ. This is what the Lord desires for us and He'll give it to us. And I uh, leave you with this beautiful prayer. I promise, this is where I leave you for good. The prayer of Manasseh. Have you heard this prayer? Who is Manasseh? He was a king in Israel, right? Was he a good king? That he became a good one? Become a good one? He was one of the most wicked. And all of a sudden he has a prayer recorded in the Deuterocanonical books. This is a prayer to remember for repentance. Pray it daily. Open your eyes and heart with it every day. Perhaps we can look at it together. O Lord Almighty, God of our fathers, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and of their righteous seed, you who have made heaven and earth with all their adornment, you who have bound the sea by the word of your command, you who have shut the deep and sealed it with your fearsome and glorious name, you at whom all things shudder and tremble before your power. For unbearable is the magnificence of your glory, and not to be withstood is the anger of your threat towards sinners, and unmeasurable and inscrutable is the mercy of your promise. For you are the Lord most high, compassionate, patient, and merciful, repenting from the evil deeds of people. You, O Lord, according to the fullness of your clemency, promised repentance and forgiveness. You promised it to those who have sinned against you. And in the fullness of your mercies, you have appointed repentance for sinners towards salvation. Therefore you, O Lord, God of the righteous, have not given repentance for the righteous, for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who had not sinned against you, but you have given repentance for me, the sinner. For I have sinned more than the number of sand of the sea. My lawless deeds are multiplied, O Lord, multiplied. And I am not worthy to look and see the heights of heaven because of the multitude of my unrighteous deeds. I am bent down by too many a bond of iron for the lifting of my head because of my sins. And there is no relief for me. For I have provoked your wrath and done evil before you. I have set up abominations and multiplied provocations. And now I bend the knee of my heart. I love that part. I bend the knee of my heart. It shows that the whole body, the whole being worships Christ. That's why we have matanyas. That's why we raise, we stand up. That's why we look towards the east. I bend the knee of my heart begging for your clemency. I have sinned, O Lord, I have sinned and know my lawless deeds. I'm asking, begging you, forgive me, O Lord, forgive me. Do not destroy me with my lawless deeds, nor for all ages keep angry with me, nor condemn me to the depths of the earth. For you, O Lord, are the God of those who repent. And in me you will display your goodness. For my being unworthy, you will save me according to your great mercy. And I will praise you throughout all the days of my life. For all the power of the heavens sing your praise. For yours is the glory to the ages. Amen. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.